We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. I'm Sheila Johnson. I'm CEO and founder of Salamander Hotels and Resorts and also Vice Chairman of Monumental Sports and Entertainment in Washington, D.C. Really take care of yourself, number one, because, you know, as a woman, men can come and go. You know, sometimes men use women just to get to from point A to point B. And I think more than anything, make sure that you take care of yourself. You know, put a little bit away. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal, helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Sheila Johnson is the co-founder of BET and the CEO of Salamander Hotels and Resorts. She talks about breaking new ground in business and the secret to entrepreneurial success. Your family moved frequently when you were a child, and that was partly because your dad had trouble getting a job. Can you tell us about that? This is really interesting. You know, uh, we just finished the Middleburg Film Festival, and one of the movies that really struck me and reminded me of the way I grew up was called The Green Book. And if many people don't understand what the Green Book was about, is where African-Americans, as they're traveling across country, could only stay in certain hotels and, and only eat in certain places. So as a young girl, I remember my family carrying this Green Book because my father was one of 11 African-American neurosurgeons in the country and could not practice in white hospitals. So um, we had to move a total of 13 times. So as we were traveling across country, there were places where we could only stay or eat. And I just remember the humiliation of all of this. But it's something I will never forget. Sure. I had read that you used to watch your parents struggling to figure out how they were going to pay the bills. Right. Wondering how that shaped your view of money. It shaped my view of money that I knew, and I always said to my mother, I said, if I ever make money, I will make sure you're well taken care of. Because here, I have two parents that were so very well educated, but yet we were living from paycheck to paycheck. And it's something that is very common in the African-American community. We didn't make the money that normal physicians of, of that are white were making. Um, my mother was a, an accountant, and she just couldn't make the amount of money that white women were making that were in that business. And so it was tough. And I remember going to bed at night, and I could hear them fighting over bills and discussing how they were going to buy anything or you know, what was the grocery money this week? So it was pretty tough. And it's something that has stayed with me all my life. And until this day, I mean, even though I'm doing well, I always will never forget that because I could be right back in that same position. How does that affect your view of race? It troubles me because it's very disturbing. It's unfair. I mean, it's still going on now. I mean, there's a a lot of disparity between um, the paychecks of whites and blacks. I mean, the numbers, you know, prove that. And I hear so many of my friends who talk about how they just, they found out that so-and-so, same position, uh, was making more money than they are. And we cannot figure out 
why that is true. But racism is still alive and well. Um, gender racism, gender and inequality, I should say, is alive and well, and it's just not fair. You put your now ex-husband, Robert Johnson, through school. What yes. advice do you have for women who are the breadwinner? Really take care of yourself, number one, because, you know, as a woman, men can come and go. You know, sometimes men use women just to get to from point A to point B. And I think more than anything, make sure that you take care of yourself. You know, put a little bit away. Um, but also make sure that you understand the laws of divorce, because I've even known women that have put money away just for themselves, and when they go to get a divorce, and the judge says, well, you've got to divide up what you've even saved, which is not fair. I mean, there's got to be ways in which women have got to be able to really take care of themselves. You know, there's children involved, and life just isn't fair. It really isn't fair. You went through a very public divorce. What advice mm -hmm. do you have for women who are going through a nasty divorce? Well, you know, it's it's different for every single woman. Mine was really very humiliating. And it was a case that I knew two years before filing that I had to get out of the marriage. Um, so I made sure that I knew where everything was kept. I knew where the finances were because I'm the one that always paid the bills. And more than anything, I wanted to make sure my kids were taken care of. And it was important that I really did my homework to find the right lawyer that was going to really take care of me and my children. You and Robert co-founded BET. What advice do you have for female entrepreneurs who are trying to launch their own business? Uh, there's so much advice I can give them. First and foremost, probably one of the biggest, I'm not going to call it a failure, but it was a big lesson. I brought the wrong people around me. And when you're in such a high, um, when you're going through something like a divorce, which is really frightening, and you, you feel uh, exposed out there, and you just want to have friends. And one thing I realized, I didn't have any friends. Um, there were people that liked to associate with both of us, but both men and women on each side, they would tend to go towards the man. And I really realized that as a woman, I was alone. And I was desperate to find kinship, friendship, people that were going to help me get through the darkest time of my life. And I found that isn't true. And I lost $12 million of my money by hiring the wrong people to help me start my company. So if there's any lesson in life, please do your homework. Be careful that you don't bring people into your environment that come in with their own agenda that are really riding on your coattails, and I call them energetic vampires, um, to make sure that they're able to share your vision and understand your vision and have respect for you as an entrepreneur. And that took about four or five years for me to get through that. But it was, an, you know, on top of getting a divorce, it was an ugly time in my life. And the other thing, everybody could not, and especially banks, couldn't see that I had money. They could not see that I'm a smart woman, and I knew what I wanted to do. I had a clear business plan, 
and I really knew what I wanted to do, but no one really had respect for me as a woman and as an African-American. So there were a lot of life lessons during that time period, and I was finally able to put together a team of people who really understood what I was going through because it was not only just the business plan, but I was fighting an entire community who did not want me to come in and build a resort. So I was fighting that also. And I, it was a struggle. It was a war that was going on, me privately and also publicly. I mean, what I was going through was always written up in the papers from my divorce to trying to build an, uh, a hospitality company. So there's definitely some lessons. Be careful who you bring around you and make sure that they trust you, have respect for you, and vice versa. You've said before that being a woman in business is very tough. Yes. How come? Because, first of all, men can go to any bank with a little business proposal, how wacky it could be or how terrific it could be. They're going to get the financing. Women do not have that ability to do it. Banks don't trust us as lenders. Um, I even remember going to a bank, and I don't want to mention it, with hundreds of millions of dollars to my name, and they didn't take me seriously. They came in, I, I made the, um, I set up the meeting, and they just, I could tell right away, they weren't taking me seriously. They didn't bring their top guns in there so that I knew how to invest my money well. They just didn't care. And even when building the resort and the, and the recession hit, I tried to go to banks to see if I, because I didn't want to put all my, all my own money into this, to see if I could get some investors. They wouldn't even look at me. I didn't have the track record. Whereas men can start from little and build up a track record. Women can do that and still build a track record and still not get the investors. So I just think that financially people just don't take us seriously. And it was just a matter. I know that I had to take baby steps in getting my company started. I had enough money to really get the resort in Middleburg built and to really prove to people that I knew what I was doing as far as the construction, watching over the construction costs, the design work, which I did, um, and bringing on the right team of hotel people. Once it was up, and now it's just getting so many accolades, we're up to seven hotels. So it was just a matter of having the patience and really helping people understand what I could do and then putting together a good PR marketing team to really get the brand out there, really building the brand. And that's what's really important. You and Robert sold BET to Viacom for $3 billion. Mm -hmm. What's the most important lesson you've learned about handling lots of wealth? Well, first of all, you know, the $3 billion mark sounds terrific, but we had a lot of debt. We had to pay off our angel investor. So when you take all that out, we're still in the billion-dollar category, but not what people think. And then at the divorce, it got divided up, of course. Um, and when you have that kind of wealth, you still have to watch your back because there are people that want to bring – business ideas to you they want you to invest in that I learned early don't do it <laughs> because again people are just taking advantage of you and there have been one or two things that I've invested in um, that just really didn't pan out it's ridiculous and um, so I've learned to say no 
I've just learned to say no and really put my money into things I'm really passionate about. Because once I was able to get the business started, and I, I've learned this phrase uh, that Ted Leonsis taught me about watching the double bottom line. And, and it's really, once you have a successful business, you want to learn to give back. And when you give back to community, they're going to give back to you. So I find things that I'm really passionate about, and it's education. Um, you know, I did the building at the Parsons School of Design because I just thought it was one of the worst pieces of real estate I'd ever seen. The kids that are so passionate about design would work in it, and it was just unacceptable. And so I came up with a plan with then President Carey to be able to give a sizable amount of money to rebuild at 5th and 13th Street, a design center for these students. And because of that, if you look across the street, the new school is now absolutely magnificent. We have the making center inside. Um, It has really transformed the school. The school has been transformed because what I was able to do gave impetus to others to be able to donate money to the school. So education, I'm very passionate about. I put together, I put through school, the Kennedy School at Harvard. Um, It's now 40 students. I'm now in my fifth class. It'll be 50 students in the end. And these are students from underserved communities that are really going to change the world. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal. How does wealth change the way people relate to you? <laughs> Again, it's something I have to be very careful about. Um, when you don't have money, you're, you're not even really looked at. You're not invited to the special events. You're not invited to the key fundraisers. You're not, you really don't matter. And it's, it's a society thing. And if you have money, then suddenly you're on everyone's radar screen. And that's when you really have to be careful because they will pretend they're your friend, but they really aren't. But they just want your money in the end. You said there's a lone. You said there's a loneliness wealthy African Americans feel in their lives. What do you mean yeah. by that? Um, and, and I can say this is a I'm fair complected African American woman. Um, I never really belonged to anything. Um, I was too light to be accepted by the African American community, and too dark to be with the white community. And so there's a loneliness there, and then you put on top of that wealth. You really just don't fit in. It's really amazing. I can throw wonderful parties and wonderful intimate dinners and everything, but I never get invited to their homes. And it's on both sides of the fence. And so there's just times where I'm just sitting alone with my husband, a wonderful new husband, um, and I, we just don't get invited anywhere. And it's just the reality of life. So we have to create our own world. How do you feel about the wealth gap being a billionaire? It's tough. It's tough because 
being on both sides of the fence at some point in my life, it, it's really gut-wrenching when I see the struggles um, of young African Americans. I just I wish I had enough to be able to reach out to everyone, to be able to take them under my wing and to help them to be smarter about financing and about um, building a company, about making sure that they get through school. It's the gap is widening. And, you know, people put so much emphasis on education, you know, and you've got to go to college. There is a huge number of people, both black and white, they can't afford to go to college. And I really do believe in vocational training. And I remember growing up outside of Chicago at Proviso High School, and we had um, both the college prep curriculums and we also had vocational curriculums. Those that came out of the vocational side have become some of our key entrepreneurs in Chicago. You know, where they're starting pizza restaurants, car businesses, and what if there's anything I can tell anyone out there, if you can't afford to go to college, either try a community college or vocational and start building a business from there because there's money there. We are losing our artisans, our specialists, even as far as starting out, you know, changing locks on doors. Do you know how hard it is to find anyone that – it could be painters. It could be someone that can fix your car. There's there's work out there for people. And um, just put the business plan together and just get started. Start small and make it work because there are jobs there. You do not have to be or have to go to college to do this. You said you're ashamed of what BET has become. Do you still feel that way? It's not what I thought it should be. From the very beginning, I thought it should be the real voice of the African-American uh, community, and it was just not entertainment, but it's about, I wanted it to become the CNN for the black voice. I wanted to really discuss issues. I wanted to bring on the movers and shakers in the news business to really talk about what is really happening out there in the political world and how we could really improve the social impact of the black community. Um, yes, you have to have the entertainment. You can call it edutainment if you want to. Um, I had a show called Teen Summit to really bring to light the voice of the young African-American teen and the, and the social pressures and the problems that they were going through. I found out the kids really couldn't talk to their parents about issues that were important to them. And I was giving them a voice. And this is where I really thought I'd see BET go. Now... There's, there's two sides to this. The more serious programming, advertisers wouldn't give us money for. See, so that was just one of those other social pressures where I don't know whether it's, it's set up unconsciously or – I mean because I saw it on both sides of the fence. There were African-American advertisers that wouldn't put money into BET to advertise. And then there's white advertisers that wouldn't put money into BET, knowing that the BET um, fan base or people that were watching BET, they spend more money almost than anyone out there. Why not invest in a black network? So the money always went to the video market, and videos didn't cost anything to put on. So that was sort of a cheap way out 
of making sure that we could pay our bills. But I think more than anything that we should have fought harder to get more and more advertisers or people to invest in our programming and what we were to, what we were going to do. Um, we had a lot to say, and unfortunately, it was cut short. Do you feel a sense of responsibility for what it's become? I have to say that when I was at BT, I fought hard for what I really wanted, and that's why I started that show, Teen Summit. It was on for eleven years. We had grant money, and that's why we stayed on. We didn't have the advertisers that we wanted, but I was able to find money somewhere to keep that show on because it was that important to me. So, I mean, once I was booted out of there, you know, things changed, and um, I had no more control. You say men fail more than women, but they get a second chance. Women don't get second chances. That's right. What do you mean by that? I know of more men that have fallen backwards and they keep moving forward. And if you watch all of them, they have a way, they have this brotherhood um, where they watch out for each other. And I think that women need to galvanize more and watch out for each other. It's, It's really that important. And I've had women that have hurt me personally um, when I really would like their support. But women do not support other women. How come? I just don't know. Maybe it's because we're all, it's almost like a crab in the barrel mentality. You know, once one gets up, they're going to pull the other one down. I don't know whether it's insecure. I think it's more insecurity than anything because they say if they lift up another woman, uh, Maybe I'll lose my job or something. I don't know. I think a good psychiatrist could talk about that. But I have found that women do not support other women the way they should. Men could have a fight in an office and then they're out playing golf. It's just the way they operate. And, you know, something that I've learned, you know, after buying a WNBA team and I've watched my girls, you know, in the locker room, I've watched them on the basketball court, I want more women to get into sports because they learn how to play against each other, with each other, and not hold grudges. They learn a special communication skill of trust, Um, and that's the only way they're going to make it in a team sport. You see it with women's soccer. You see it with women's basketball. And I think those are lessons that need to be learned. And we're not getting them. We as women do not get them in a classroom or just walking down the halls in high school or college. And I think in college, women are always vying for the next man or the next boyfriend. Um, But I think what I have learned through sports is women learning to trust one another and to learn to play together and to have each other's back. You've said you've given opportunities to women who are fearful or been afraid of the opportunity. How so? I, I, I feel as though that at my age, I can give them a lot of ammunition to help them move forward. And um, they have to have a little bit of fear and they have to learn how to fail in order to move forward. I just want to be able to just take them and tell them, you know, life is going to be tough, but let's all hang together. You know, I started this um, with Sashiko Kuno. Uh, She was a tech pharmaceutical, she still is, (laughs) tech pharmaceutical genius. And we decided to start this, um, it's a We Capital investment group because we have, I found, we found 12 women that would invest money, large amounts of money. We have a 
pretty good sum where we then go around and we look at incubator projects in which women have started companies and they they're they're good at what they do but again banks won't look at them no one will invest in their companies and from the lessons that I learned and the struggles that I've been through we thought it would be great if we got a consortium of women that would then we would look at seven or eight companies that really had a social impact but would make money and we're there for them we are there for it's called we capital and Jenny Abramson is handling our money how much money oh i think we're more than 12 million at this point and we invest in these companies and we are watching them carefully we all get together we give them entrepreneurial advice we watch their bottom line to help them grow and i think these are the kinds of things that women need to do for one another because they're not getting that support from men what's the best personal finance advice you ever received really watch your bottom line make sure that you have the best cfos and i have two I have one that watches my hospitality company and there's a string of those. I mean, he's the head, but he's I've also got what they call shadow backup. They're all in the office with him and then I have a personal CFO to handle my family. And they talk to one another. I've got to make sure that um I don't personally spend too much money that I watch my bottom line. Uh we and even in my family um financial side there's three or four others that watch every credit card transaction they watch all of my investments that's another one they're all women and then um there's someone that who pays the bills and they check to make sure there's no fraudulent charges on the bills that's how carefully you have to watch your finances because with all the fraud out there and people that can steal your information i have a body of people that just watch all of that on a day-to-day basis last questions what mm-hmm. continues to motivate you i love what i'm doing i love my life now i have total control over my own life i love my employees I have over 3000 employees um you know my company's called salamander and the salamander's the only mythically the only animal that can walk through fire and still come out alive and if you cut off the limbs of the salamander it regenerates i live that motto every day and the salamander stands for perseverance courage and fortitude and i say that to myself every morning what gets me out of bed is to be able to provide the best leadership possible for all my employees i have to be an example for all of them and i have to make sure that they respect me time now for your secrets i'm Sheila Johnson and my money secret is i like to buy well i also am a big saver and i also like to support the real real <laughs> this episode was produced by Tanya Bustos john wardock is the executive producer of wsha podcasts i'm veronica dagger thanks for listening what's your secret Let us know. Write podcasts at dowjones.com or on Twitter use #secretsofwealthywomen.